Welcome to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. Well, hello. Welcome to our episode of You Are Infinitely Loved. Today, we are continuing to interview each other on our respective paths towards self-love. So Sam, you've already been through the ringer. I I certainly have, you know, all my (laughs) deepest, darkest secrets. I feel exposed. Coos, now it is your time to be (laughs) fully exposed in front of our, uh, not viewers, listeners. Thank God for you. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) No, as I've been thinking about this episode, I've been thinking that In our culture, self-love talk between women is growing and becoming more acceptable and a thing, but for men, it's not as much. I I can't imagine a group of men hanging out at the bar, shooting self-love talk, you know, I just... (laughs) It would be a different type of self-love, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yes, I hear what you're saying. (laughs) Tell me more, Sam. So I, I mean, you know, Coos and I are married and I feel like I know his story in and out, but maybe, maybe not always in and out. Um, so I feel as though Coos, for me getting to experience and see Coos's journey to loving himself and practicing self-compassion has been really inspiring for me, but it's not something you talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is your chance to talk about it. Edit that out. (laughs) So like as a man, how do you feel about even broaching the subject? Right now I feel comfortable talking about it. I don't know if I'd be comfortable talking about it, say a year and a half, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, What is it that's different about you now? Why can you be comfortable about it now? I think it's because I have been exposed to that practice and seeing how much it's changed my life. And it's something that, you know, any time I get a chance to do, I always try to do it. What do you mean do it? Um, this t- talking about self-love, self-compassion. Okay. And you're right though, that it is rare to find guys who who's comfortable, who's open to, to discuss this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's pretty, a pretty common knowledge where guys are not just as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for guys to open up about their weaknesses, but things that they're struggling with. And maybe it's a pressure from the society where men should be strong. Men should be powerful. Men can't be weak. Mm-hmm. So that probably has a lot to do with it. Do you feel like for you culturally, there's some challenges? For me, culturally, absolutely. I think with Growing up, I was born in Indonesia, uh, but I am ethnically Chinese. There's always this pressure in a Chinese culture to be successful. Um, like your measure of success is basically having a lot of money. Mm. Um, you can be the most successful teacher or whatever, but if you don't, it's like an oxymoron. (laughs) If you don't have, you don't have a money to prove it, then you're not successful. Yeah. So it's interesting for me. Um, I mean, you can explain a little more about what you do for a job now, but 
for me being married to you, seeing how you relate to me, to our kids, to people you work with has been really interesting to see how self-love has affected other people. Your practice of self-love and self-compassion has bled out to other people. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I don't know if I was like that before. No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> we have confirmation yeah. from life. Because, <laughs> I mean, going back a little bit with my childhood, I remember how much pressure I had. Well, now that I know it was a lot of pressure growing up, I was the smarter kid in my family. So every, every year it's always like, be the first in your class. And I promise you, there are so many years where I would tied for first, mm. but because of my, okay. In Indonesia, they, they, uh, when, when they sort your name, it's, they sort it by your first name. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I'm tied for first with someone whose name starts with a, Mm -hmm. then I'm second. You know, I'm 1.2. Mm. I'll be second. And it'd be like, you know, I'd hear my parents say something like, oh, if only you just read up more on this subject, you know, you could just be your, the only number one there. And at that point, I'm just, you know, when I was little, I just thought, oh, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. Hmm. But thinking back, looking back at it now, it just, it seems like it's such a huge pressure to put on me. Um, and you could never really win. Even if you did get first, it wasn't like satisfying to you maybe. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, I do see why that's the case though. Why my, my, especially my dad really wanted me to be successful. And that was because for himself, he never got the chance to go to college. My grandpa died when, before he graduated from high school and he was one out of 13 kids. And when my grandpa died, there's just no money for him, for him to go to school. So he really wanted me and my brothers to be successful, mm. but his idea of success was money mm. and to have a lot of money. He wanted me to be an engineer or a doctor or a surgeon. Um, or it, I mean, I feel like it could be anyone, anything, as long as you make a lot of money. I remember him saying, oh, when I told him that, oh, you know, Henry is really good at soccer. And he said, oh, great. Now he can finally be someone who's famous and makes a lot of money. First one in our family. And you're like, <laughs> Henry six. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. Henry, so, Henry, Henry six. Beckham. We're, not, we're not banking on him making it big in soccer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he is killed in a little league. I'm not going to lie. He's killing it. <laughs> if you look at his, from his, you know, his background, you understand why he, he felt that way. The security mm -hmm. was right. right. Yeah. And this is part of the, the, the self-belief that was imparted to me. Right. Mm. Um, what, one, one of the workshops we did at camp, it was basically with, from the, from when you were little until you're about, 10 or 12, all your beliefs were all imparted. You're learning it from, you're absorbing it from your parents, whatever they believe that becomes mm. part of you. Mm. And that truly became part of me. Um, I Even though like your fears weren't the same. 
I put a lot of pressure on, on myself and because everything is measured by money, mm. it's always, it was always really hard for me to try something new if I felt like it won't make any money. Like why waste time on something that's be, not going to make any money? You wouldn't be good at it right away. Yeah. Or something that I wouldn't be good at right away. Mm. I don't want to do it because it's just a waste, waste of time. Why, why do that? when I could do something else that I'm good at that could make money. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was really hard. So I think you have a really interesting perspective then, like both on being male and also your culture growing up. Um, and I, I feel like m most male culture though, is the success driven thing. You know, for women, it's so much more about our bodies, how we are in the world in that way. And for men, I think the success in the workplace is really a big piece. I mean, mm. I think it's for everyone, right? But maybe more highlighted for men. Like if you're a failure at work, you're kind of a failure. Mm. Yeah. You know, the other pressure that you have is that when, again, this is the society that we live in now is that as a man, you're the head of the family, you're the breadwinner. So you have to be successful at work because your family depends on you. And I think that that's shifting a lot now, but as you're growing up, that was definitely what you It was were... definitely it. Like, you know, my, my mom never worked. Uh, I'm really thankful that my dad worked really hard. So I, I'm not saying I, I, I'm not trying to talk down on my dad. I know he worked really hard. I love him so much for, for all the work that, that he did. He put me through college. Um, and there are a lot of times where, when I still think back at like, I went to an international boarding school when I was 13 because I got the scholarship mm. and in order for me to keep the scholarship, I had to get a certain grade. Mm. And I remember after my first year there that, um, I didn't get the grade. So my dad had to pay for me to, to be at that school. Now, I don't know if it was because he felt like he need, had to do it to save face. Like, hmm. you know, Coos is going to this international boarding school and now I, he doesn't get scholarship anymore, but I don't want him to move back home. So I'm going to pay for him. I, I don't know if that's the case. Or maybe because I told him how much I wanted to stay there. And he's like, okay, well, if you really want to go there, I'll pay for you to go there. I don't know which, which one it was. Mm. It, both cases, in both cases, he worked very hard to make sure that I got a good education. Mm. Um, and then for college, I also came here because I got scholarship. And then same story. After the first year, I lost a scholarship. And my first year at college was a really, really tough year. It was a huge culture shock. So my first year was just like trying to adjust to the new culture. Um, and maybe that's why I couldn't really focus on studies and I lost my scholarship. Maybe. Mm. But no matter what, though, my, my dad still paid for me to continue on my studies. Mm. Um, so he, he worked really hard. It was just him working. My mom stays at home to, uh, help him. Um, and he's really fair. 
to all the kids. Like I have two younger brothers and he tr tries his best to spend the same amount of resources on me, on my brothers too. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's quite a lot of money <laughs> considering where I, where I went to school and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So in some ways, maybe his kind of obsession with not obsession, but equating success with money is what he does with the money. You know, the money for him is not necessarily about, it's about, you know, education and being able to provide for his family. Um, and so I guess to Lindsay's point earlier, it's kind of like, are you, are you saying that? So for me, I guess my self-worth was somehow wrapped up in, in my body image and for Lindsay, it was wrapped up in, you know, her ability to, to be well do, liked. Yeah. <laughs> please be well like liked me, please and like me. <laughs> be of service to others and, you know, do things and that yours is somehow wrapped up in your Making ability a lot of to money. be financially successful <laughs> and intelligent. And, you know, is, is that, yeah, is that where your self worth yeah. was kind of, yeah. That's totally it. Mm. And so for you, it worked for a long time because you are really intelligent. You do well in school until you don't. Right. And so usually you're feeling pretty good about your self-worth. Like when you're achieving good grades and scholarships. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. It's working, you know. And that's probably why I try to avoid failure. Mm -hmm. Because when I fail, I, I don't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When I fail, I don't feel good. That would be a, a quote we're putting on t-shirts. Quote, quote of the century. <laughs> we're going to hand these out. <laughs> but, when I um, fail, I don't feel good. <laughs> yeah. So I guess for me, I'm interested in when was it that you, um, you talked earlier at the, at the start of this kind of episode around, you know, doing self-love and practicing self-love and self-compassion. And Lindsay mentioned how that has kind of bled out into, you know, the way that you are just with, with your family and friends and colleagues and that it's kind of, you know, um, having an impact on everybody, but what are your, like, what do you mean by practicing self-love and self-compassion? I know, I know from a little bit that I know about you that you're a meditator, but is there other, like, what, what are the things that you do to practice self-compassion? And I think it'd be interesting to think, to talk about why did you even become interested in practicing this stuff? Like what did you see a benefit to this? What was going on? Like why, why the switch? Yeah. What was your entry point? This is a, a big question. Um, let's see, where should I start? Let's start with, with my family. Well, let's start with the entry point. Um, I think the entry point was camp GLP. Mm. Um, I didn't want to go at all. So for our listeners, explain Camp GLP. Camp GLP is this gathering that happens north of New York City where about 400 people get together. You, uh, I would say most of them, maybe even all, all of them, follow Jonathan Field's work. He writes a book called How to Live a Good Life. It's one of them. And he has a podcast called uh, Good Life Project. It's basically figuring out what it means to live a good life. Um, and Lindsay started following an artist that then learned about this book and the podcast. And then one, one day she just said, I'm going to camp. You should come with me. 
that's not quite how that happened. And, and Coos was like, is this a cult? <laughs> yes. No. I wish I wish Coos had said, is this a cult? Coos actually said, no. How much is it going to cost? <laughs> Boom. This comes back to the money piece. Right. Oh. What am I going to make or what am I going to receive Mm. out of this camp like am i going to make, make more worker. money yes from is it going to make me a harder learning? worker is it going to make me more profitable <laughs> <laughs> will i be on the forbes 50 richest men list <laughs> yeah i i like things to be stable i don't like changing things up or be in this uncertainty kind of situation are you so saying she, that not only failure doesn't feel good, but uncertainty doesn't feel good? That's, that's correct. <laughs> this is groundbreaking work we have here. Groundbreaking. <laughs> because when, when she told me we are going to camp, my first thought was, oh my gosh, how much is it going to cost? When she said, oh, it's going to be $1,000 uh, for each of us. And I thought, oh my gosh, so that's already $2,000. And then the flight's there. And then now we have to figure out who's going to watch the kids. There's just too many variables, too many uncertainties that I was not comfortable with it. That I and, just said, oh, you can go by yourself. And you weren't really in an emotional, spiritual place where no, you're like, I wasn't sure, in I'll try place. new things. Like, you were in a pretty closed place. Well, yeah. And that came with, you know, my back, my background where if I don't know for sure what it is, I'm not going to do it, right? Mm. Um so what but, the hell? Um, How did you get there? <laughs> this so far is not sounding like well, a place mm -hmm. where yeah. you want to so go. So Lindsay told me, Lindsay said, just listen to three episodes of the podcast and randomly pick them. Lindsay actually shared one or two with me. So by the third one, I was in and I told her, there are a lot of things that I said to you, but one thing that really I, I still vividly remember was I said, if one or two years from now, we look back at this decision to make camp, uh, to go to camp. Um, sorry, let me, let me repeat that. Two years from now, we're going to look back at this decision to go to camp as something very monumental. Either it's going to be something really good or something really terrible. <laughs> and either way, I want to be in this with you. I don't want to be just the one cheering you on on the side. Aww. I want to be in it with you. And that $5,000 is going to be chump change. If it is a positive thing that changed the course of our life, we would look back and say, $5,000 is nothing. Look at where we are now. It's worth every penny of it. So like investing in yourself piece was kind of a, a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Koos is making this sound like it was a like a sweet little conversation. It wasn't. It was not. <laughs> it was the biggest fight of our marriage. It was a big wow. fight because I felt like I had been in a place where I was ready to go to this new place. Like the everyday life was seeming dull and uneventful. And I'm like, is this it? Like, mm. is this all that life has to offer? Um, things are fine, but okay, I guess this is it. And then hearing about a community of people who are doing things really differently, who are living wholeheartedly, taking risks, um, doing crazy things was just like, yes, that's that I want in. And so I'm thinking, doesn't everyone want this for sure? So as I'm telling Coos, 
um, let's do this thing. And he's like, no, I'm like, mm, what, why, why is there any hesitation here? This is mm-hmm. an obvious given. And um, I think it just kind of showed what different places we were at at that time. Like I was having this like big growth in my heart and like wanting to explore that and shake things up. And he was like, nope, we've reached stability. Things are good. Do not rock the boat. So, mm-hmm. and I think the investing in, in self was a big thing. Um, thinking about doing things for the sake of, of, because it's fun. Mm. Just experimenting. Just experimenting. What if we do waste a chunk of change and cool. Like, don't <laughs> you think we'll make some more money and replace that? Like, I don't know. So. What? So then you go to this camp, it becomes the best experience of your life and the most invaluable because you meet me. Priceless. That's right. That is right. <laughs> Priceless, worthless, whatever you want to call $5, it. $5,000 is chump change now that we, now that we met know Sam. Sam. You know what? We joke about it, but it is absolutely true. Because, Sam, you have been really influential in our our path on learning to love ourselves well. Like the conversations Aww. we've had, the reasons why we start, decided to do this podcast, it was just like adding fuel to the fire. You know, we had this like, little spark going and you just doused it with, you know, Kerosene? Oh. <laughs> Douse yes. things with gasoline? I don't yes. know. I'm not a pyromaniac. <laughs> but let's get back to Kuth. So, so camp was the entry point. So did you just go to this camp and then the next day you get back to Portland and you're like, oh, I need to love myself. Like, what do you mean by, like, wh- what then happened? I, I don't think I learned about self-love at camp. It was more of, uh, there are other things that happened that led me to it. Mm-hmm. I've never done meditation before, and uh, every morning at camp, KC, you know, one one of the the leaders there would lead meditation at six a.m. and I went one time. Mm. I didn't go on the other mornings because it was too early in the morning. <laughs> because six a.m. <laughs> right. I learned a lot of other things, you know, uh, how to confront your limiting self beliefs. You know, think like what I talked about earlier, things that you learn as a, as a child that maybe doesn't serve you anymore. Mm. Maybe you, you should think about things differently. And that was really a really big thing because I, I don't want my children to think that making a lot of money is so important mm. for me as their dad. Mm who they are is more than enough. Like if they can just stay true to who they are, I'm happy. Mm. So there's a lot of confronting of what I thought was how I should live my life because that's how my dad had to, what my dad had to do for him to keep pushing, to keep going. Mm. Um, I think he had built a good foundation for me to say, you know what, that worked for you. It doesn't work for me. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a different way. Mm. Um, and I like what you're saying. You're not throwing your parents under the bus. Um, but I think a lot of us, when we come to the self-love realization of, yeah, my parents did the best they could with what they know. And I respect that. And I am thankful for that. And because of that, I have freedom to figure out who I am now. Right. Mm. I, totally. think, I think a lot of times we think that if we start practicing new things that that are different from our family is that we're rejecting them when really we're just building onto this foundation or course correcting, you know? Mm. Right. Um, 
So, so then after camp was over, you know, I started following KC on, on Facebook and apparently every September he has a, a 30 day challenge, meditation challenge, just do meditation for 30 days straight. You can do it for five minutes, 10 minutes, and just slowly work your way up. And, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. Don't know what this is, but I'm going to do it. So I did it for 30 days. And I haven't stopped. And I think through that practice, I really learned more about self-love and self-compassion because I had to look mm -hmm. inward into myself and figure out all these things that's been in my mind and how to let go. And just what, be with yourself without your expectations. Right. Yeah. One of the things that sometimes, sometimes I still struggle with when I, when, when I think about it. Um, so my mom passed away, it will be four years this November. I think my mom was very unhappy with the decision for me to come to the States to go to school because it was her only, her oldest son living so far away. And then with me, you know, picking up the Western culture, I know that she felt that I, she had lost a son. Mm. It, it was something that she had told my dad before when she was battling with, with uh, stomach cancer. She told my dad, I felt like I just, I have lost Coos. She's, I don't have this oldest son anymore. He's not the Coos that, that I remember. And then my dad told me, and then she passed away. And it's something that I will never, never be able to reconcile with her. I'll ha I, it's always going to be in my head, in my heart, that my mom thought that I, I no longer exist as far as she's concerned. Mm. And, you know, being able to s practice self-love and self-compassion and saying, you know what, it is hurtful, but I'm okay. She has her reasons to think that. And even though I can't say it to her directly, I, I do forgive her. I can understand why she would feel that way. And maybe, you know, I could have done things differently to make her, to show her more uh, of who I am mm. today. Maybe I could have done it differently. Um, but again, the thing with self-love and self-compassion is that you, I, I try and, uh, if I can't change it, like there's no point for me in, in keep dwelling in it because it's just gonna, it doesn't do anything. So being able to move forward from that um, forgiving myself and being kind to myself. Um, so that was really important, I, I feel. Mm. So, yeah, and my meditation practice kept on going. And, and then in November of last year, I lost my job. I had a really awesome job for seven years. <laughs> it was, I, I worked in the tech industry. So I had a, a, a very comfortable job, well-paying job, amazing benefits, all the good stuff. And then I lost mm. it. Um, Which for someone whose self-worth has been to your ability to be financially successful, it's like the ultimate test of, yeah, can, can you love yourself through this? Totally. And um, it did feel like everything you've been working on up to that point was almost leading you to this place where that you would be. Seriously, okay. it, it was as if the universe knew it was coming mm. and it got me ready for it. Um, because I truly, truly believe that 
if I hadn't had that meditation and self-love, self-compassion practice, it would have been, oh my gosh, I, I don't even know. How would you, like, it would have been. Oh my word. I, I truly cannot imagine how dark things would have gotten if you were kind of the old coos. Right. Um, yeah. Ooh, that's a scary thought. <laughs> um, and the thing was that I thought in the beginning, being in the, in the tech industry, I thought, you know what? I can probably get a job in a mm. month, two months at the most. I, I'll get a job at the end of January. We even like <laughs> started thinking, oh, you know what? Let's try and find a job in Europe. Let's live in Europe for, for a year. Yeah. Well, we, you only take a job if it's remote or if it's in Europe in a really yeah. fancy place. Yeah. Oh, so I applied <laughs> to a lot of jobs in Europe and locally remote jobs and for we almost moved to porto we were Ooh, at the last stage with one company Portugal. there we're talking about about all the finances and whatever and then they just called and they said nope we're not moving forward <laughs> it was quite quite a bummer i think a lot that what was crazy is that for so many years people had offered to jobs um tried to kind of poot pouch poach <laughs> You, you can pouch, pouch him. Me. Pouch him. Uh-huh. So it's getting late. <laughs> um, but this idea that it there was no doubt when he lost his job that he wouldn't find one super mm. quickly. And so as like the months wore on and he interviewed so many times with so many companies, it was truly like bizarre. It just made zero sense. Even his friends were like, What do you mean you haven't gotten a job? Right. What? And so it was this interesting path that it's almost like he had to walk down to really seal in this practice of self-love. Like even at this really incredibly low point of the way that you used to get your value before don't exist. So what now? Yeah. Who am I without other labels? Who am I without mm. being uh, an engineering manager that gets a lot of money and great benefits? Who, who am I? Who am I truly without mm. all those things? Like Lindsay was saying, it was very bizarre how many times I got rejection. Like I counted it up. I had over a hundred interviews in the span of seven months that ended up with a no. Oh, like hundred, my God. <laughs> over a hundred of them. I think there was one of them when I applied for, I mean, I don't want to say a, something that's below me, but something that I had yeah. done before. Like uh, uh, basically being a software engineer instead of being a manager mm. that I thought for sure. I even called Lindsay and I said, Lindsay, I think I got this job. I'm I heard that so many times. <laughs> uh, I <know. laughs> Lindsay, I think this one's going to happen. This, I got this job for sure. I'm a shoe in. <laughs> this one was, I was very, very confident. Mm. Um, and I was confident because an engineer that I managed before got the same job. And I was telling her about all the questions that I got asked. And she said, oh my gosh, your interview is so much harder than mine. And she got hired. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to get this one now. Mm. And then two days later, they called me and they said no. And I think that was when I... I, I hit you. the rock bottom. Can we yeah. add this to I the list? Was, like failure doesn't feel good. Uncertainty doesn't feel good. Rejection <laughs> doesn't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And that I think that was the rock bottom for me. That was when I just wanted to end it all. I just said, I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. I, I can't do it. Mm. I wanted it to be over with. I wanted to, to end. Mm. Um, 
But then, you know, going back again to self-love, self-compassion, that kept reminding myself that my worth is not dependent on whether or not I get a job, whether or not someone else approve of me. Mm. My self-worth is inside myself that knowing that I am loved, you know, by God, by my friends, by my family, that's more than enough. We are, we're still good today. We still have enough for today. Mm. And um, I think even in those moments when you weren't employed, we, oh, there wasn't one day where we didn't have enough, but it was the fear of the future always. Right. And the lack of title and the lack of like every day having purpose and meaning in a job that was so challenging. The uncertainty that we're talking about is definitely uncertainty of the future. What if I didn't get a job by Mm -hmm. my money runs out? (laughs) What if, right? So I think when you take that out and you just be present in the moment, I think I definitely practice a lot on being in the moment today. Mm. We're good. Mm Tomorrow, when t- whatever comes tomorrow, that can wait. But today, I'm... We have everything we need for today. Yeah. I get to go take a walk with Lindsay. I get to go spend a bit more time with the kids, walk them to school, mm-hmm. pick them up. And those little things were really, really good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe after that experience, so you finally did get a job. That happened. Yay! <laughs> and um, I, I think though this experience has made you almost double down on the self love. Like, oh my word, this stuff actually works. Yeah. Um, it carried me through. It, it's not just. Maybe I think a lot of times we think of self love as this really fluffy thing. That's like a sweet thing. We're saying nice things to ourselves, and we're feeling great. But I think when like the shit hits the fan and things are really hard this is the stuff that carries you through those hard times. Mm. Like the being well with yourself, like trusting yourself. Um, I don't know. Like you kind of went through fire with that. And now you're even more dedicated to the self-love practice, even though things have gotten situationally easier. One thing that I've noticed that definitely has changed was that when I got the job, I mean, think about it. After over a hundred interviews, seven months of no job, getting finally getting a job, I thought that I'd be so excited, mm. just over the moon. When I got the offer and ac- accepted it, I just said, oh, okay, now I have a job. And I took some time to think about it. And what I realized was that I think I have come to the place where I know that my value is not, does not, no longer comes from having a job. Mm. I mean, it's nice to have sal- a salary, you know, paying the bills. As your wife, yes, yes it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But it's no longer tied into that. Right. Like I know it's not where my self-worth days. comes from. Yeah. So even if you do poorly, if you have a bad day at work or a bad day with external things, with relationships, friends, family, kids, you can come back to this place where you can try again. Yep as opposed to beating yourself up and feeling like a failure. It's a kind of, um, yeah. I mean, I'm more open now to trying new things, mm-hmm. um, doing something I've never done before, doing something where I'm, I don't know if it's going to make money or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to do things for the sake of curiosity, mm-hmm. wonder, trying things. Mm-hmm. And don't you feel at work, your perspective has changed a lot. Yeah. Like as you're mentoring younger engineers, I have to admit, uh, Coos works from home 
And while his office door is shut, I can still hear quite a bit of conversation <laughs> if I'm in the dining room. And I'll be sitting at my computer doing my work and I'll hear some of these conversations and I'm really blown away just at how patient you are. And it's interesting to hear how I've heard those conversations, you know, a year before, a couple years ago, and would be like, whoa, his job sounds intense. And now I'm like, wow, Coos really cares about his people he works with. He's really invested. He's patient. There's actually an engineer that I am going to start working with him on practicing more more self-compassion. I think he has a lot of, um, he's really hard on himself. Mm. And I'm like, yes. Like looking in a mirror (laughs) from your past self. I have a disciple here. Oh my gosh, Kuz (laughs) is going to bring self-compassion to the engineering world. Yay! So, uh, But don't you think it's interesting to almost have him as a, like this place of, I know what that feels like. I know where you're coming from. That makes sense. And also it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And Come over to the promised land. <laughs> but I think that's the whole point of this podcast, right? Is exploring so much more of, you can get by just fine. Life can be okay. Or you can like start embracing this idea that you're a really loved person mm. and what would change. And I think it happens incrementally. But when you look over time at the buildup of what has changed in your life because of these practices, kind of small, starting out, but building on them, the way you think about yourself, the way you talk about yourself, the way you talk to others and engage with others is radically different. I'm going to be a bit nerdy here. Hmm. Um, I watch I watch this Marvel show called The Iron Fist, and it's about this guy that went to somewhere in Tibet or China and learn Kung Fu, practice a lot of meditation. His whole thing is meditation. Mm-hmm. He has to get his chi right mm. in order for him to be able to use his iron fist. <laughs> so, okay. So that's the background. Your ego is uh, <laughs> coming out. Last night, there's this one episode towards the end, and I was like, I'm going to show Lindsay this clip because this is this sounds amazing, what he said. He was talking to his... Um, quote unquote brother, he said, you know who you are now. That's great. But do you know who you can, who, who you could be <laughs> if you explore more new things? And I just thought that is so amazing. Like, it's great that you know who you are now, but think about in what other ways can you thrive? Mm-hmm. Who could like, what kind of, you know, curious things can you explore? just to learn more about yourself mm-hmm. instead of, you know, just being, like I don't you know. don't just arrive and yeah. here I am. Right. I'm, I'm, this is who I am now. It's good that you know who you are now, mm. but don't stop. Mm. There's still so much out there for you to, to discover about yourself. Man, I got to start watching some of these. <laughs> <Iron Fist>. Yeah. <laughs> to geek out with you sometime. <laughs> I love it. So is there anything, Chris, that you would say to any men listening who are like, you know, uh, self-loves for women, self-loves for women. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess, yeah, I guess what would you say to any man who might be listening, who's not really, who's probably, yeah, a version of, (laughs) of the way you were a couple of years ago before you really had these practices? 
I would say that I want to acknowledge how hard it is mm. to take the first step. Mm. But it, it the, the most important the most important thing is to take that first step of saying, I'm curious about what self-love is. I'm curious about what how I can practice self-compassion. Because I think once you take that first step, mm. you're you're in. Um, you'll so even, fi- you'll find your tribe. Like the act of curiosity, just practicing curiosity, what could be right is maybe the low hanging fruit that we can all grab onto. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And I would say, come talk to me. <laughs> if someone wanted to start meditating today, they've never done it. We all have heard how great it is for us, but we but we might not know how to do it. What would you say? What would be entry level meditating? I think. It's really important to have an accountability or even someone reminding you to do it. Just a, I don't know, nagging wife <laughs> who's like, you have not meditated. Go do it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can definitely join um, Casey's 30-day meditation challenge. We can put the link on the show notes uh, um, mm-hmm. for l- our listeners to join in. Another thing is I use this app called Insight Timer that can help you Keep track of, I mean, if you want to keep track of the days that you've meditated, because you, mm. there, there's something about keeping track of something. And then you're like, I don't want this to break. The, yeah. You don't the, want to break the streak the, or the chain. Yeah. yeah. Competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you can use something like that. There are a lot of, a lot of ama- is, amazing meditation teachers there. What teachers would you recommend? I think Christopher Carter is a good one. I, my most favorite one is Sarah Blondin. Ah. Yeah. I think her meditation is all about self-love, self-compassion. And my goodness, it's it's just so, so very good. Um, so, so very good. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't sell it more than that. So, no. so very good. <laughs> so well, I feel like hearing your story is always encouraging to me because I know you so deeply. And I'm really proud of you for sharing it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Chris. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of You Are Infinitely Loved. And we hope you join us again for our next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our hope is that each day you feel more connected to the knowledge that you are infinitely loved. If you want to continue this conversation, you can find us at yourinfinitelyloved.com.